You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Oh, hi guys. Uh, I just want you to know like how thrilled I am to be here at 2CC. Uh, you all are so special to uh, our family, and I bring you greetings from our church family, the Vineyard in Campbellsville, uh, and uh, we feel the same way about Charlotte, North Carolina, as you do, Andy, about Campbellsville, um, although you have significant cultural advantages over Campbellsville. <laughs> significant. Um, uh, it's true. Uh, it, uh, it wasn't true that I haven't spoken in 15 years, but, you know, the world changed a while back. Things went a little nuts. Things, in some respects, are still a little nuts. And uh, I, I, I honestly have not spoken anywhere at all uh, since uh, February of 2020. So whatever that is, 15 months or something. Uh, so if I get a little addled, uh, I'm, I'm much older now than I was then. Um, but I'm, I'm so, so happy uh, to be here. Uh, let's see. Oh, bother, I need to do one thing here. Okay, there we go. Hey, um, sooner or later, well, look at that. Yeah, we're going to be talking, boy, that sounds fancy, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, I'm in trouble, uh, because, yeah, I got to talk about that. Uh, And sooner or later, we will get to our passage of Scripture. But before we get to our passage of Scripture, uh, let me hear from you guys Um, so Jesus ministered to the multitudes. He fed 5,000, uh, and, uh, and then he had 12 disciples and then he had three out of the 12 that he was like super close to. Uh, and, uh, that was Peter, John, and James. Um, so help me out just quick word association. And by that, I mean, you guys shout it out. Um, when you think of Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the apostle Peter, uh, what comes to your mind? Uh, crazy? Stubborn? Walk? He did, didn't he? Cha-ching. The crazy stubborn guy walked on water. Good. A couple more, please. Blue, he's a working man, right? He's a fisherman. I love that. Neither, nor am I a working man or a fisherman, but, you know, it seems really romantic that some people are. And... <laughs> Yeah, the romance would go away if I actually had to work for a living uh, or or actually had to go out in the heat. Uh, I'm, I'm from Chicago originally. I live in the southeast. And so all I do is gripe about the heat and humidity from uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, but he's a working man. He's blue collar. couple more, please. He's a husband. Yeah, and by the way, Talk about the family dynamics of Jesus saying, come follow me to a husband. Would Jesus do that? Apparently he did. Yeah, a husband, a crazy, stubborn, working man uh, who's a husband. Well, who walked on water? You're doing great. He did have Holy Spirit revelation. That, and I'm betting it's John, right? Yeah, John, I'm, I'm thinking that you're wondering, you're, you're, you're probably right at about 
um, who am I? You are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yo, Holy Spirit revelation right there. Is that what's on your mind? Yeah. Okay. Peter the Rock. Yes. And um, thank you. I heard it from over here. I don't know who said it, but let's let's stay there. Peter the Rock. Um, because um, because what I, I want to talk about comes from Peter the Rock. Now, uh, whether you've grown up uh, in a Protestant vein or an Orthodox vein or a Catholic vein, um, how you lay hold of Peter uh, may differ a little bit, uh, but there's no question that the revelation granted to Peter is the rock on which Jesus builds his church. And as, the props to Peter, he himself, uh, Rocky, the little rock, um, uh, he himself uh, is part of that agent of revel, revelation. And this working class fisherman shares uh, two books, letters of, of scripture. Uh, and our text today is going to come from Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So if you're taking notes, it's Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to keep in mind everything that was said, the walking on water, the stubbornness, the, the borderline insanity, all of those things, because here's Peter, second Peter, pretty much at the end of his life. This is like right up against the end. And, um, I, I vibe with that more and more as the years go on. And so Peter has this chance to reflect. He, he grew up. He is a working man. He walks with Jesus day by day for three years and then spends decades walking out what it was like to walk with Jesus. And in the very last thing that he writes, um, he gives us these words. And uh, I think we're going to do NIV. Um, so um, just in case you don't know how to read, I, I want to read these out loud. Now, you can, you can follow with your eyes, or if you want, you can close your eyes and, and we can let it come through the ear gate as well. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in the abundance through the knowledge of God, of Jesus, the God, the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, that would be his glory and his goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I do ask that you'd help me uh, break open what needs to be said today. 11 verses, the beginning of this letter. And can I suggest to you that, A, I, I think they're majestic. I think they are far-reaching words. These are words that I, I, I wrote in the margin of one of my Bibles. I could spend the rest of my life unpacking the meaning of those words and trying to live into those words, just those 11 verses. I mean, I think the Bible is a lot bigger than those 11 verses, but I mean, we could, we could just stay there, right? So this Peter, this crazy, impulsive, working class guy who did amazing things, uh, also shared these majestic words. And these words alone are evidence of the life change that Peter experienced in his exposure to Jesus and in the decades meditating on that exposure to Jesus. Part of the good news this morning is that life change is possible. Whether you are married or unmarried, whether you are working class or whether you are high-minded, highfalutin theological, whether you're crazy, whether you're stubborn, uh, whether you've got miracle-working powers, Life change is possible. You read these 11 verses written at the end of his life and you say, doesn't sound like a fisherman who cleaned his nets and sweated every day out on Lake Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. So just before we even try to, to go into those 11 verses, these are majestic words and they're evidence of what Jesus did in him and can do in you and in me. Uh, Lord, do your work uh, in me. Now, um, those 11 verses are way too much. I said you could spend your whole life unpacking them. It's true. So maybe we'll try to narrow it down to verses three and four. I think that's right. Chris knows because I sent it to him. Yeah, no, just verse four, right? Is that what I told you? Okay, that's what I told him. This is verse four. Out of what we just read, context, focus, right? Context. Wait, you got to keep the microphone here. Context, focus. There we go. So here's where I want to stay today. Through these and the these, and I stopped, was God's glory and his goodness, right? Which we, we expressed in worship. I'm so grateful to, to Andy and to John and the dear brother that played the, the lead guitar, whose name I've forgotten, Sam, great lead. Um, through these, his, his glory and his goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused 
thy evil desires. Well, um, let's break these down. And you would think I would have noted what time we started, but no, I'm out of practice, so I didn't. You just let me know when I go too long, all right? Um, So I have three kids. I have a son who's 34, a daughter who's 32, and a daughter who is 18. And my 18-year-old still believes in the sanctity of the pinky swear, right? I mean, this this is solemn promise territory. Sweetie, I'll be home at 4 o'clock to take you where you need to go. Pinky swear? Yeah, well, pinky swear, there we go. She believes in the sanctity, um, and and I don't blame her. Uh, Most promises need some kind of reinforcement, don't you think? Most promises do. And uh, honestly, promises are not very good currency these days. Uh, Think about life. Uh, It promises, it seems, really were made to be broken uh, in business and in politics and sadly in marriage. Uh, And in the innocence of childhood, the promises we hear or the promises we speak, they're really not even worth the paper they're written on. Well, it's because they're spoken. Um, In modern life, we've trained ourselves. This is important. In modern life, we've trained ourselves to discount promises as nothing more than just an echo that you hear on the wind. And maybe you heard it or maybe you didn't. That's, That's the world we live in. But that's a fallen world. And that's why this passage from Second Peter is so arresting. Because apparently, apparently there's someone capable of keeping promises. And more than that, the promises that this someone is able to keep, those promises are able to lift us into eternity. Um, wow. He says, through the promises, you participate in the divine nature. Uh, through the the promises, depending on your translation, you share in the divine nature. Through the promises, different translation, you become partakers in the divine nature. Um, wow. To become partakers of the divine nature? Do you know what that means? I I don't either, but I know it's good. I, I, I don't know fully. I mean, I, I have spent a few years in my life, because this, this passage is very dear to me. I have spent a few years of my life meditating on it, but um, whatever it means to partake of the divine nature, to share, to participate in the divine nature, whatever it means, it's good, and we should want it. And, and, and I say we should want it. Uh, our Anglican brothers and sisters in their Book of Common Prayer, one of the collects says, uh, grant that we would desire your promises because you realize that maybe we don't even want the promises. So, Lord Jesus, in my life, would you give me the grace to desire your promises? You know, now the, the poet priest says, I have nothing but the promises you're keeping. And in, in a large sense, that's true. Um, this is this is the essence of our life with Christ, um, uh, these promises. Uh, uh, Andy referenced uh, several weeks ago the phrase, uh, his, uh, uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and, and godliness. Um, but how does he give us everything that we need for life and godliness? So today, following up on what Andy had dropped into a message earlier, I, I wanted to share with you that one of the ways that he gives us everything we need, 
that's mind-blowing alone. He's given us everything we need for life. No, that can't be right. Yes, it is. But how does he do it? He does it through promises. And this is the first way that we should explore the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Well, you know, the PhD types, they, they write, you know, whole tomes and volumes on this. But I, I would like to ex- express at least two aspects of the divine nature. The creator of the universe makes promises. It is part of his nature. It is who he is. He not only speaks by fiat, let there be light, and boom, there's light. But when he speaks, he makes promises. So uh, you guys did so well with Peter. Um, and since you have sold your lives for the gospel, just off top of your head, think of some of Old or New Testament relationships where God promised something to somebody. Abraham, who said that? Yeah, I mean, like, boom, Genesis chapter 12, right up front. You open up the book, you start at the beginning, and it's vast and it's cosmic. But boy, when it gets down to the personal immediately, the very first thing you find, Genesis chapter 12, is God is making promises to Abraham. Did he have to do that? But it's in his nature. It's how God relates, right? Thank you. Um, what else? Uh, God made promises to people. Uh, to deliver his people. And, you know, Moses wasn't exactly happy. He might have been in that category. Are you thinking of Exodus? Yeah, good. Moses um, Moses may not have been one of those who desired the promises because here's kind of the way the promise worked there. Uh, Moses, uh, go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Lead my people out to the to back to this mountain where you will sacrifice to me. And this is really helpful. Thank you, creator, almighty, powerful, potentate God. He said, this is how you will know that the promise has been kept. When you come back here with all the people, you will sacrifice to me. Well, thanks. So I'll know that the promise is true when it happens, right? But he did. He promised to deliver his people because first he said, I've seen their suffering. I've heard their cries and I've become present to do something about it. So there you go. We got Abraham. Uh, we're covering the Exodus. We have Old Testament scholars here. One or two more. You, you, you all are. He promised a land. Isn't that amazing? You know, a couple of weeks ago, Robin said, and I, I texted him because it was so good. A couple of weeks ago, Robin said, between the promise and the promised land, there's frequently a desert. Yeah, okay, that guy, Robin, he knows what he's talking about. Right? Um, so promise, glorious. Right? Uh, milk, land flowing with milk and honey. Grapes so big, you got, and I don't think the grapes were big. I think the grapes were normal size, but I think that the, the bunch of grapes were so big, you had to put them on a pole to carry them. And so, yeah, great land. Oh, yeah, by the way, everybody in the land, all the Canaanites are 6'6", six, six, and they're 275, and they run a 4'4", four, four, 40. Uh, but yeah, but it's your promised land. Thanks, God. Right? But it is, and thank you, each of you. It's in God's nature to make promises. He don't know, he don't owe nothing to nobody. He don't, he, he doesn't have to do it. But it's in his nature to, to make these promises. So uh, we participate in his nature 
literally, and I like the, the King James, the graceful becoming partakers of the divine nature, that's almost Eucharistic. Um, if I had bread here, I would partake of the bread. And what happens? It's not just a mere image. It would go into me. It would be distributed through me. And the promise has become part of the whoop and the wharf of who I am, right? So we can participate in that. Um, this passage that we're looking at, Lord Jesus, help me. This is still the introduction. Um, this passage that we're looking at meant so much in the first two centuries after Jesus. Uh, these would be the earliest church fathers and church mothers that St. Athanasius referring to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, said, For the Son of God became man so that we might become God. And you go, whoa, slow your roll, Athanasius. Well, they probably didn't say that. But they said something close to that. But he was serious. He was saying that we become, we become part of that divine nature. And it's, it's because God promises things to us. Okay? Um, yeah, it's God's nature to make promises. By the time we get to the end of this, even if I just throw it in as a sentence, it's also part of God's nature is love. Notice that the end of that virtue chain, add this to this, this to this, this to this. You you know where you end up? You end up at love. That's why it's in the passage. God's nature, promise and love. It, uh, more than that, but definitely that. So um, let's take inventory of God's promises. And because I'm a bear of very little brain, uh, I've got just two categories. And those two categories are promises in the Bible and promises that he has made to me personally that may not be in the Bible. So here's where we're going to spend almost all the rest of our time. Um, from Genesis to Revelation, the scripture is filled with promise. Uh, the creator stakes his relationships and he stakes his reputation on promises. And uh, I'm reading here because I, I, I don't want to get it wrong. Through his promises, um, we, we, we covered a few. Nature itself is protected. Families pack up and move. Nations are birthed. Uh, all of this happens upon the promises of God. Uh, through the scripture, our Lord promises his presence. He sends his spirit. He etches each of our names forever on a white stone. I... I'm obsessed with the white stone. I don't know what it means. I just, I just want one. Um, um, through his promises, each child of God is born into a family older than any nobility, wealthier than Gates or Buffett or, or Bezos, right? By the way, that galactic children's camp, uh, they didn't mention it, but one lucky child from QCC will accompany Jeff Bezos into space the next time he goes because it's a galactic camp, okay? All right, so these promises in the scripture are writ plain for all of us. And let me just ask this question. Why should we be ignorant of our heritage? Uh, we shouldn't. One of the reasons that we should read the scripture is simply to be aware that uh, because of this nobility, this heritage, we want to be aware of uh, these promises, um, but you say, I heard you. 
These are at-large Bible promises. They're generalizations. They're abstractions to describe who God is. And, um, you know, they're little more than church words that are spoken up into the air uh, as comfort from a distant God. So apparently whoever said that was very eloquent. Um, I suppose you could say so. Um, but let me just ask you, and this time we won't do participation because we'd be here all week, uh, but I will share some from me. Um, have you ever been reading in the Bible and all of a sudden what looks like just a general promise or even a principle, it all of a sudden just becomes burning and alive to you? Maybe in the moment, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. And uh, in all of those areas, I could be reading along and in my relationship, something in the scripture flames up. It's like, you know, a, a, a Kabbalistic, you know, experiential moment. And I go, that, that's for me now. Now, that's different than the general promises that are in scripture as true and as important as all of them are, that's me showing my credentials, sometimes the Holy Spirit says this promise is for you. In fact, Derek Prince, a Bible teacher I greatly respect, says that it's a misuse of the promises in the Bible to just claim them all willy-nilly and say, this one's for me, this one's for me, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. No, 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 no. It's it's it, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the curator of your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the one who says, you see this now in this chapter of your life is for you, right? Now, some of them could be lifetime. Uh, This one, like it warms my heart every time I say it. Uh, And if I get choked up, I'm gonna try hard not to because I'm a professional. I'm going to try hard not to get choked up, but it says in that wonderful book of Hebrews, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And every time I hear it, every time I see it, or every time I speak it, I know that that is from God for me. Yes, I'm quoting the Bible. I mean, yes, it's scriptural, but I'll just fail here miserably. I just know that that's from God for me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Now, uh, other people may feel left or forsaken or even God forsaken or forgotten by God. I I get that. And that's part of, of life. But whatever my circumstance, from when I first read that promise decades ago, this is rock solid in my life. Good times, bad times, you know, crappy times, excellent times. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise, a scriptural promise that has become a part of my life. Um, Your pastor, uh, Robin McMillan, um, and by the way, QCC, props to you for blessing Robin and Donna with a sabbatical. Uh, I know pastors who have labored labored for 11 years or more, never got a sabbatical. God bless you. And God will bless you for giving them the break that they need. But for Robin, I, uh, he's never told it to me, but I've listened to enough messages to know Psalm 91 is real to him. How many times have you heard Robin reference Psalm 91? And he references it 
Yes, it's Bible. Yes, it's theologically correct. That's not why he references it. He references it because it's so real in his life. Whereas other people, so here's Robin, whereas other people will quote it as though it were a contract. Do you understand there's a difference between a promise and a contract? There's a difference between a promise and a contract. Contracts are written so that the party of the first part will not screw over the party of the second part. And if said screwing over happens, then the party of the second part may sue the party of the first part. You understand? And that's why the Holy Spirit is the curator of your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is saying, I know you. I know your heart. I know what you have lived in life because what you have lived in life is different than what you have lived in life. And right now, says the Spirit, I'm speaking this promise to you. And in the case of, say, Psalm 91, that, that is just so real to Robin that it's a part. He's, you know what he did? You know what Robin did? He ate the bread and it became part of him. And so I want to suggest this is the first category. The promises of the scripture that you, the, the executor of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit, has said, this one is for you now, right? Um, here's what happens when you just think of them all as contracts. Uh, there was a time when I was an undergraduate, Illinois State, home of the fighting Redbirds, um, and I read a book on healing that said healing is part of the atonement. If you've received Jesus, you've received the atonement. What are you going to do? You're going to believe your lying symptoms? Or are you going to believe the promises of God? I, I can preach this. I mean, I can preach it, right? And so, like, don't give in to the symptoms. Stand on the promises of God. If you're a boomer, you, uh, others too, but if you're a boomer, you've been, you've lived through this, okay? And so it's like 1974, and I'm at my desk, a uh, sophomore at Illinois State, and I, I wore glasses. And at that moment, I took my glasses off. I put them on the desk. But part of the contract is, it's not just, I hope I don't have my glasses. Yeah. Um, part of the contract is, now you have to confess your healing. And so I told everybody, God has healed, past tense, God has healed my eyes. And they went, wow, that's amazing. And I went, it is, isn't it? And it only took me about six months of walking around without my glasses for me to figure out this ain't working because I was treating the promises of God like a contract. But can I tell you this? I am so stubborn. Me and Peter, whoever it was that said stubborn, me and Peter, I had told everybody at Illinois State my sophomore year, God had healed my eyes that I did not put my glasses back on until after I graduated and left Illinois State. I'm telling you the truth. I went two and a half years maintaining my testimony that God had healed my eyes. But the Holy Spirit wanted me to know, Ray, in the 21st century, there's going to be dazzlingly cool frames you can wear. The Holy Spirit was like, I, you know, I don't need to heal your eyes because you're going to look good. Right? But I went two and a half years claiming, oh, to God be the glory, God has healed my eyes. Okay, you get the difference. Uh, there's a big difference between a promise and a contract. A contract is built 
If you're taking notes, I worked hard on this. A contract is built on the distance between two parties. A promise lives in the relationship between two people. Contract is built on the distance between two parties. And a promise is built on the relationship between two people. To treat his promises like a contract is to share in the nature of a lawyer, not in the divine nature. How many of you want to take on the nature of a lawyer? Uh, uh, any attorneys in? Okay. <laughs> I once made fun of used car salesmen. My wife's uncle was sitting right there. He's a used car salesman. And he literally went, watch it. <laughs> Anybody listening on the podcast, if you're an attorney, when I'm in trouble, I'm coming to you. There's a difference between a promise and a contract, Okay. Category one, biblical promises curated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of this vast inheritance is ours, but this is what he does for us. Second kind of promise, the promise spoken to you personally. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples because I've totally lost track of time. Um, and Andy, I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. You, you give me the whenever. Okay. Um, here's, here's an example. Baby Jesus is born. Um, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day. They provide the uh, sacrifice of two young turtle doves uh, uh, in the consecration of the firstborn. And you, you guys who know the Gospel of Luke would know that there at the temple was a guy named Simeon. And it says in Luke's Gospel, and it just it, it pierces me every time. It says that Simeon, it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's anointed. Now, I know it says it had been revealed, but let's just do some violence here. It was a promise. It was a promise that Simeon could not get by reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was a promise that only the Holy Spirit could speak to him in in the darkness of the night or in the daylight of the dawn. It was a promise that said, Simeon, you're not going to die. You're going to see the consolation of Israel. Eight-day-old child placed in his arms, this dear brother, he looks up and he says, you can dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. He didn't get that promise from the scripture. He got it from the voice of God speaking to himself. And when the promise was fulfilled, it didn't look anything like what he probably imagined. And this is very important. The fulfillment of God's promises rarely looks the way that we're going to imagine it. But that's good news because our imaginations are too small. Our imaginations are too corrupted by evil desires. The part of the Petrine passage, um, our imaginations are too small. Our imaginations are corrupted by evil desires. Here's a promise that God gave to me, and I am not making this up. You're going to think, oh, my gosh, get him off the stage. God made a promise to me. I met the Lord Jesus um, just before I turned 15. And when I was 15, not on my birthday, but when I was 15, the Lord said, Ray, you are destined for some great thing. 
And like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, I went, whoa. Now, I want you to understand, you could forgive a 15-year-old for hearing that or thinking that, except I've never been able to shake it, ever. I know that I know that I know that God spoke that to me as a 15-year-old. Do you know what he's been doing in the ensuing 50 years? He's been teaching me what true greatness is. Because when I heard it as a 15-year-old, I was a part of the Marvel comic universe, right? I was Shazam, which is an underrated movie. I recommend Shazam. Shazam! As a 15-year-old, here's how I appropriated the promise. I, people are going to know me. I'm going to do great things. You know, they're going to write songs about me. Yeah, okay. And the Lord, over 50 years, has said, okay, you know, hey, let, let me teach you what greatness is. Greatness, greatness is a life lived in service to others. You know, Jesus whispers to me out of the scripture this time, the leaders of this world lord it over their charges, but not so with you. The one who would be great in God's kingdom will be the servant of all. Over 50 years, God has been retooling my understanding of the promise. And the truth is, is that it's more dear to me now than it's ever been. And, you know, it, I told you, married, uh, three kids, five grandkids. The truth is, is that if is a really bizarre reference, but it's come to my mind like 10 times this week. So I'm going with it. The original Superman movie with Christopher Reeves. Uh, there's the, the uh, earthquake, the San Andreas Fault, and there's a train track that breaks apart, and Superman comes swooping in, and, and he just makes his arm part of the train track, and the train goes over it, and everybody's saved. You guys remember that movie? Totally cheesy, 1970s, Right? I was in the theater as a 20-something, and the Lord said, that's you. Okay, yeah, I know. I'm off the rails. Well, literally, because it's a train. I'm off the rails now. Because here's what God did. God said, if you do nothing more than bridge the gap that the next generation can go on, then that's greatness. And everybody in the train went on. They had no idea what Superman had done. Right? He, I mean, other than the fact that it got in the movie later. Okay? So, Simeon, if, I wish I had a nickel for every time I'd been mistaken for Christopher Reeves. Um, <laughs> Simeon had a promise from God. Um, you, your friend here had a promise from God. Um, what personal promises have you received from God? The, the same one who created your body, he created you body, soul, body and soul in the secret place of your mother's womb. He's made promises to just you. Um, so I gave you like a personal promise to me as a 15-year-old. Simeon is a biblical example. I could give you others, but it's my life. I'm not telling 
Finally, the reason that they're promises and not prophecies is that a promise is an invitation. A promise is an invitation. A prophecy is a prediction. Right? A promise is an invitation. Come this way. Come this way. Walk with me. Um, He invites us into deeper trust and relationship with each promise. You guys, this is how God forms us spiritually. This is how God uh, matures us, is that he invites us into deeper trust and deeper relationship. What What we hear and how we respond shape our spiritual formation. Now, there's the first, like, principle I've given you all day. What we hear and how we respond shape our spiritual formation. And the reason that I read all 11 verses is that after talking about these great and precious promises through which you become partakers of the divine nature, he says, make every effort to add, and then there's this virtue chain. Where does the effort come? After the promise. Does this make sense? So let's go back to Peter, the uh, crazy, uh, stubborn, uh, miracle-working Peter, okay? He says to Jesus, others may desert you, but I will never desert you. And before the night is out, he's failed on the promise three times, third time with cursing. Beloved, there is such a difference between the promises we make to God and the promises God makes to us. And the promises that God makes to us can actually, can actually sustain our effort because it's based, it's based on his, his view of us. We don't win the promise by our effort. We, we, we are able to put forth effort by the promise. Okay? So as my pastor, Adam Russell, does, um, I have four questions for you that you might want to write down. If you've got a phone or an iPad, you could open up notes right now, even if you haven't taken notes, and you could ask yourself these four questions. And then I'm done, I promise. What has God promised me, biblically or personally? I mean, have you actually taken an inventory? What, number one, what has God promised me, biblically or personally? Number two, do I remember his promises? Because they'll hold me steady. They'll hold me steady during difficult times. Number three, am I willing to risk trusting in his promises? It's a significant throw of the dice. It's a significant throw. You're not playing with house money. You're playing with your life. And number four, how can I live into his promises? How can I live into them? And uh, a hint here for number four, a significant part of the answer would be found in Hebrews 6.12. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Pacencia y fe. Anybody see In the Heights? Is that, that's, I think that's the right name of it. The Lin-Manuel um, um, Miranda musical that was just made into a movie, Disney Plus. 
the, the people of the Dominican, Pacencia y Fe, patience and faith. And you see, and in San Abuela, it's a, it's a, it's a grandmother who says that to all these young bucks that are bursting with energy and life and, you know, everything that young people are bursting with. And grandma is saying, Pacencia y Fe, patience and faith. We inherit the promises. My beloved, my prayer for you is that through patience and faith, you will inherit the promises. Thank you and God bless you. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.